Hello, we are back for another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, much like a couple of fallen giants in the German top flight, we're back with a bang. With me is a brand new guest I'm excited to share with you. It is Chris McCarthy. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to get your voice on here. It's great to get new voices in general, but especially because I've really enjoyed the work you've been doing, and I think maybe some of you out there will have read this as well, at The Athletic for the past couple of months. Maybe maybe if you read German, you already knew about this guy. You're reading Reviersport and Elf Freunde. <laughs> have you enjoyed doing a little Bundesliga writing in English lately? Yes, definitely. It's a, it's a whole new experience. Um, as you said, I've been doing a lot of German writing in the past, and now some English writing, and it's definitely been, been a lot of fun uh, digging deep into the Bundesliga again. And yeah, I hope you've been happy with my content. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, we are going to be right back with more of Chris, with the best and the rest of Match Day 26. But while I have you here, please, please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Leave us a five-star rating if the spirit moves you. That helps us get the word out, helps, you know, get the pod into new ears. Please do consider also becoming a supporter of us on Patreon. We got lots of timeless content over there. We got 34 episodes of Historic Match Day Moments. We got eight Scandal episodes, more to come in the very near future, and uh, a lot more. So, see you in a minute. Let's get cracking with part one of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone, the part where we sort of sift through the various storylines and figure out what's uh, the most important, the sexiest, whatever you want to look at it. This was match day 26, and uh, just like any other match day, we had nine games. And the two that I want to zoom in on are ones that I think of as perhaps the Great Awakening. We've had quite a few big clubs this season come in for criticism, underperformance, uh, flirtations with relegation, new coaches not quite fitting the bill. But no two clubs, I think, have gotten more stick than VfB Stuttgart and Hertha BSC. Both of them are very much still in danger of going down to the Zweite Liga, but I think we saw some genuinely encouraging signs this weekend. Although these are two clubs that are taking totally different courses. I mean, Stuttgart, they're, they're reaping the benefits of maybe patience and continuity. They've been holding on to their coach, Pellegrino Matarazzo, come what may. While uh, Hertha, they made their second coaching change of the season this week. They fired Typhoon Korkut after a disastrous run of results. They hired, of all people, coaching legend Felix Magat, who had been away from the German top <laughs> flight for the better part of a decade. Just before we get to either of these games, um, how surprised for you to hear the name <laughs> Felix Magat attached to an Aster Bundesliga club <laughs> for the first time in a decade. Yeah, I think I think as surprised as everyone else has been, um, it was a truly bizarre hire, I think. I mean, it's not going to be disrespectful to Felix Magat. He's achieved a lot of things, been a great coach over the years. But as you said, he hasn't been in the Bundesliga for 10 years and his last stops weren't exactly very encouraging either. And he just seems to be a bit of a yesterday's man, if I can say it that way. And some of his methods might be outdated. He had a few comments in the press which led you to think that he is a bit outdated in his thinking of the modern football and therefore it's been it was quite bizarre for for Bobic to to choose this path I would say 
Yeah, yeah. Freddie Bobich has been grasping at straws all season, it seems. We can probably talk about that in a little bit more depth as we talk about Hertha's performance and what got them there in a minute. But I don't want to force things. Which two of these teams or, or, or games do you feel like talking about first? I mean, if we've talked about Felix Magath already, might might as well just jump in with Hertha first. What do you think? Oh, fair enough. Just twist my arm, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, this uh, a great result. You know, a 3-0 win at home against a team who entered the match day in, what, fourth place? So this is a quality win from a, a team that hadn't got one of those in uh, quite some time, I guess since the, since they beat Dortmund back in December. You could maybe see this as a new dawn if you're, if you're looking at, at uh, the hopeful side of things. I mean, this is a team, Hertha, who have looked in such disarray in recent weeks. And, and this was a totally different face. They hammered. Hoffenheim. They picked the visitors off with three free kicks. They frustrated Hoffenheim's usually very patient buildup with a lot of, you know, energetic, organized defense attributes I have not said uh, <laughs> in, in the neighborhood of, of Hertha Bessé in, in, in months. How shocked were you by this result? I, I guess this is, a, this is a show of shock. We've heard about your shock for, for Magat, and now maybe the shock of Hertha's performance after a few days of training with him. Yeah, I mean, I was equally as amazed as about Atahaya in the first place that they performed so well after, I mean, he, he hasn't been working a lot with the team. I mean, he, he got COVID himself, so sure. uh, that means his preparation was limited, obviously. So I was extremely impressed by that. And I think at the same time, we also have to mention Mark uh, Fotheringham, the, the assistant manager, because he seems to have a big impact and his, the players were praising him after the game for providing his energy also through the 90 minutes. And um no, it's been a tremendous job by the two. And I think they've been really focusing on these points that were really coming short and seemed dead within this Hertha squad. As you said, at this commitment, this energy and this life, basically. He brought, they brought them back to life and that's the way they played. And the thing is, it's never been about quality with Berlin. The players are too good to be at that um, position in the table. And that's why maybe we underestimated um, that these qualities from Felix Magath, which have been heard of in, in the past, that those were very important for, for the course of the season for Berlin. Yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting to me, not only those comments that you heard from players really enthusiastically praising Fotheringham. They loved his attitude. They loved his energy. They loved his sort of, you know, I, I think maybe it was it was Niklas Stock who said, Dantup is Wahnsinn, which, you know, literally in German means crazy, but in German sort of like colloquial is a very positive Ausdruck. It's a very positive like way of talking about somebody being like good crazy. Like he's like a, the fun kind of madman. And there was there were some great moments during the game. I noticed when a couple of substitutes were leaving the pitch and coming over to Fotheringham and, you know, basically were trying to sort of, you know, just wrap it up with a, a sort of pro forma handshake. And he was like, no way, man. I'm going to grab your head and hug you and, you know, pat your butt. And like, this is going to be a physical, emotional experience, which, yes, is not the sort of tactical nous that maybe people, when they're sort of having their armchair coaching discussions, like to talk about and talk about formations and talk about, you know, tactics. Maybe this is a team that needs a couple of guys who are just going to give them a jolt. Exactly, that's it. I mean, we don't know how sustainable it will be. We don't know how many points you can win by this approach in the future. But um, as we said, this Hatter team looked so disjointed and lethargic in the past that they 
maybe just needed this spark to get going again, to come together again. And if you watch the game, you can see that they did really function as a team. And uh, there was an organized press involved there. There was the way the players moved together. It, there was a lot of communication going on as well. And that was something that was also gone in, in recent weeks, I thought. And um, that's why these sort of soft skills, which people forget or which people don't want to discuss about when it goes about this highly tactical modern football, maybe they are quite important. Um, and I would say all successful teams, they do have a certain culture and um, this culture has been missing it at, at Hertha or lacking a lot. And that is definitely a start. And now I would say um, they will definitely have to build upon that. So it can't only be this approach, of course, but they will have to try to use this as a foundation going forward. Yeah, for sure. And just to pick up on what you said about um, soft skills being, you know, as important or more than those sort of the laptop trainer uh, skills. I mean, no less of a laptop trainer than Julian Nagelsmann will tell you anytime anyone asks that his most important quality is not his, you know, his match planning or his training plan or his, you know, sort of tactical analysis or his video analysis. It's his people skills. It is the fact that he has the power both to sort of explain his ideas and also convince people to pursue those ideas. So, you know, I remember Typhoon Korkut when he came out of the, uh, you know, the German coaching academy, everyone was sort of talking about how he was head of the class and his, his skills, tactical skills were off the charts. But, uh, you know, we've seen it here to, we've seen it uh, <laughs> a number of other clubs that he might have a little bit of trouble either making himself clear or getting people to, to do the things he want him, wants him to do. And maybe, you know, fathering him was very clear with us after the game when a journalist rather rudely asked him about whether he <laughs> he had the team, you know, watch Braveheart before the game. I mean, he was clearly <laughs> not pleased with that question. But he was saying like, man – I've gone to coaching school. I have learned things. I'm not showing people Braveheart. So maybe we're also underestimating his, you know, tactical mouse. Maybe he's got a lot more up his sleeve than, than we know about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he said after the game that he's not really all too deep into tactics and formations, but I think he was just actually um, selling himself low there. He just didn't want people to really know what was going on, perhaps. And I mean, it goes without saying that he made some adjustments during the game and uh, that he had a lot of responsibility there. And uh, therefore, credit where it's due to both of them. And um, definitely a spark of life I didn't expect for her. To. At the same time, I don't want to oversell this performance. It's a yeah. great result. But um, not a lot of great chances from open play. Much better defensive performance than, yeah. than you know, attacking one. So eh, they'll be one to watch. They've got a pretty tricky game away to Leverkusen next week. So uh, the jury is very much still out. Any quick thoughts about Hoffenheim? I mean, clearly Hertha were, were sort of taking them out of their game. I mean, Kevin Folk, who is a really big distributor for them, center back who, you know, sort of likes to fashion himself as a bit of a quarterback, found it difficult to do that. Other things that stuck out to you about maybe what had them out of sorts? Yeah, I, th I think, of course, you can't take it away from Hertha. They really disrupted their play. Um, that goes without saying. But I just also thought it was just a bit of an off day for Hoffenheim. It, it wasn't really clicking the way it used to in, in recent weeks. Um, they lacked a bit of urgency going forward, I thought. They did have a great chance from Rune Larsen quite at the beginning, I think. I mean, if they score that, it might be a completely different game. We don't know what will happen then. But no, it just, it just seemed off. And uh, I think they were also 
bit maybe shocked or surprised to see Hertha that aggressive the way they were. And I wouldn't read too much into that from, from Hoffenheim's perspective, playing a great season. I'm sure they will recover from this game and it was just a one-off, I guess. We will see. And yeah, with Hertha, we will have to see. I mean, what I find interesting is we don't know if it's a typical effect of a managerial change and maybe it was just the change itself which sparked something or is it really Maggard and Fotheringham? We'll have to wait and see, but um, that's why it will be interesting to see how both both teams uh, react from this game, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's turn our attention now to the 3-2 win that uh, Bay Stuttgart earned over Augsburg. I mean, if anything... I feel like the signs of a resurgence from Stuttgart have really been apparent for a couple of weeks now. I mean, this is their second really big emotional come-from-behind win that they've notched up in the last month. They got two goals in the final 10 minutes in this one, turning a 2-1 deficit into a 3-2 win. You wrote about Stuttgart this past week for The Athletic. You know, what is it about this club's sort of relationship to – the overarching project that they've been on for the past several years, which really was coming under some real pressure, maybe from, from the outside, if not from the inside, when they, yeah. they spent most <laughs> of the season down in, in the bottom five or six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they went, I think, almost three months without a win, and still they kept sticking to to Matarazzo. And um, yeah, to to pick up your question, Stuttgart are going this extreme ray of uh, building on the youth. They've got the youngest team in the league. It's a team full of youngsters and lots of players. The most of us probably haven't heard of before they signed for Stuttgart, and that all goes back to to Sven Mislintat, who is their sports director and um, who's obviously got this uh, great experience of um, developing and finding young. Talent. And yeah, it's all part of the idea at Stuttgart to go back to the roots a bit. Um, in 2007, they were German champions and built upon on this, uh, this on this approach, going young and wild, as they call it. And that's where they're going now. And yeah, they became a bit of a yo-yo club in recent years. So I guess they are just trying to fully implement and rediscover this identity. And that's why they really stuck to it during these hard times, because they are fully convinced that they can get back to where they were in the past. Incidentally, the first version of the Jungen Wilden, coached by Felix Magat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very fun uh, comparison here with, with the Hatter topic, yeah. <laughs> We've come full circle. Yeah. Um, okay. Thinking, thinking about this, uh, this game, and I, I guess you can probably put it alongside some, some other games they've had in recent weeks, maybe most notably that win over Borussia Mönchengladbach a few weeks ago. It's been interesting to see, you know, <laughs> it's almost been a mirror of their approach to the season, where even when things <laughs> look terrible, they just stick with the game plan and trust that they have the performers who can get them out of trouble. And, and it looks to me like it might work. Yeah, I'm convinced. Well, not convinced, wouldn't go that far, but um, I've got a very good feeling when it comes to, to Stuttgart, um, because if we look at their performances this season, they've definitely been playing better than the results would suggest. So um, they play a very attractive type of football, I think. It's, it's very direct, it's very fast, and um, they just have been extremely unlucky this season with a lot of injuries and lots of key players missing, and the youth aspect of it all also meant that they conceded a lot of cheap goals and on the other hand, they've got the energy, they've got the conviction as a team. And I think that's a great job done by Matarazzo as well, because you can see he's got his players on board. They believe in themselves and uh, they come back from so many hurdles and um, losses late, losses, heartbreaking losses. 
And now it's the other way around. They've they've got seven points from the last three games in which they were down almost until the dying stages of the game. And it's 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 sort of paying off now, the trust. And you can see that the players are really going full throttle right now and uh, are full of energy and something's happening. And you can see that some momentum is gathering there as well. Okay, well, let's think a minute about this momentum. It, uh, certainly, I think we can say momentum is building behind Stuttgart in as much as <laughs> momentum is real. There's debates about this. And there might be de- momentum building behind Hertha if they can sustain the kinds of performance that they did knocking down a, a really good Hoffenheim this past weekend. Augsburg, on the other hand, I feel like the current position – and it's, you know, these are three teams now that I, I think are level on 26 points, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be the odd one out? Are they going to be the one who, you know, <laughs> doesn't make it out of the the crab bucket? It's it's real, really, really interesting. I'm uh, To be honest, if you would have asked me just a week ago, um, I was certain that Hertha would go down. Because I just thought the, the Magat hire was so... Uninspiring. I, I honestly thought that was the final nail in the coffin. And now, of course, with their result in the weekend, I mean, I don't want this to be too much of a knee-jerk reaction, but uh, they're obviously not dead. We saw that. And it's going to be extremely close. I mean, as you said, I do think there's momentum brewing at Stuttgart. I do think that it is a real thing with Stuttgart because they are getting their self-confidence back. And that is a major aspect of their game. And uh, Hertha does have quality enough quality to survive, I would say. Yeah, and Augsburg. I mean, every year we seem to write Augsburg off and every year they somehow do rediscover their form and um, somehow manage to to avoid relegation. And it might be the year. I mean, I'm not sure. They they do have this type of, um, this, this thing about them that they are very mature the way they play, very, very organized. And uh, Weinziel is doing a great job there with a, I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh, but it is a limited squad. And yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, today I would actually say Augsburg might be might be the ones who who will go down. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's a bit ironic because I I feel like they haven't exactly gotten great results lately, but that was a pretty decent performance against Stuttgart. It just wasn't quite enough. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought as well. They were more or less overwhelmed by, by Stuttgart, I thought. And uh, it wasn't really that Augsburg were playing badly. They were defending quite well, which is just their game. It's minimalistic. They were very efficient up front. Uh, Gregoric scored again, who's been very important in that role. So, And the whole team was defending well, I thought. Um, it, it starts at the front. Hahn and uh, Arne Meyer and everyone, they were all putting in the work required. And it really frustrated Stuttgart. You could see that. And yeah, then just uh, the wheels fell off a bit, I felt. And uh, Stuttgart's energy sort of overpowered them a bit. So, yeah, it remains to be seen if Weinzierl will be able to maintain the stability that they actually have in some ways. Um, But, I mean, to be fair, Augsburg don't play the most breathtaking football either. It is minimalistic. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to see them sort of um, mounting a great sort of series of of wins. Yeah, I'm afraid that one of those three teams is going to find themselves either going straight down or or in the, uh, the, the playoff spot. You know, they hold that one point, very slim lead over Bielefeld. We'll get to them later in the program. All right. Um, now that we've talked about these two <laughs> bad teams who <laughs> maybe, maybe are getting better now, let's talk about the actual good teams at the top 
of the table. There was a great storyline brewing after Borussia Dortmund were able to get a win in that sort of a makeup fixture at midweek uh, against Mainz. They had the chance to go, you know, back to a four-point gap between them and league leaders Bayern München, but they fumbled the bag. On Sunday in the final match of the match day, Dortmund went out to a 1-0 lead away to Cologne, but um, it, it was not to last very long. Cologne were actually perhaps maybe the more energetic of the two sides on the day. What did you make of the match, and, and were, you, were you particularly surprised to see Dortmund not quite get the job done? I was not surprised, to be honest. It's been the same all season. Every time when you expect, oh, there might be a little title race brewing here. It's every time sort of Dortmund immediately drop points the next week. So, um, but no, that's that's not the reason. The, the main reason for me is um, Dortmund have not been exactly very convincing in the last weeks. Um, I thought their win against Mainz was not exactly convincing. And same against Cologne. Um, they started off well. They often do. And then they became so passive again, rather lethargic as well. And as you said, Cologne's energy was a bit of a difference maker there. Second half, I thought Dortmund were better. They seemed to change their tactics as well, their system. I think they adjusted well to the to the high number of crosses Cologne uh, swung into the box, which is typical Cologne, of course. And then it was quite equal. Dortmund did have chances to, to pick up the win. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not even sure if... I don't think Dortmund would have deserved the win there. I thought it was a, a fair point. And at the end of the day... It was another not great performance from Dortmund and basically confirmation for us that there is a big, big gap between Bayern and Dortmund and a bigger gap than the than the six points, which it suggests right now, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we in the sort of, uh, you know, Bundesliga <laughs> chattering classes uh, are guilty of, of over-reading results. But, you know, for all of the sort of criticism and um, head scratching that we've devoted to Dortmund this season, the fact that they are only six points behind Bayern feels a little un unexpected. Just turning our attention quickly to Bayern before we take a break, the reason why they were able to, you know, get that lead back up to that somewhat larger size than it would have been was the fact that they just absolutely blew the doors off of Union Berlin. It was not, once again, not, not a terrible performance from Union. Union probably could have earned themselves a goal on another day. But um, <laughs> Bayern were well worth their, their four goals, including a couple from Robert Lewandowski. He's now uh, in a very elite club of, of you know, consecutive uh, 30 or I guess total 30-goal single-season marks in Bundesliga history. It's hard to attach more superlatives to this guy, but do you <laughs> want to try? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It's, it's impossible. I mean, he is really out of this world and uh, still at his age being such a physical and uh, technically highly gifted player it is truly remarkable and truly professional the way he I mean th th those are the things we don't really talk about it's uh, the way he also looks after his body it's it's quite remarkable at that age to still have this power to still have this uh, acceleration he does have and he also recovers quite fast from injuries as well and that is the key to his success I think and I mean we know about everything else is his mental strength his, his class is fitness Finishing. It's it's truly outstanding, and I can't believe that he's just sort of threatening the the forty forty one goal uh, barrier once again. <laughs> yep, yep. We had a goal from uh, Tangi 
Nianzu in this game. Mm-hmm. I think that's, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's his first goal for Bayern. And, you know, with the departure of Nicolas Zula next season, he might well find himself in a position to play a somewhat larger role for Bayern. Where do you think Bayern's going to be when they sort of are having to rely on the likes of Nianzu? Is, is, is he ready? Is someone else ready to step up to sort of uh, be a, either a regular or, you know, something like a regular in the back line? Yeah, that's the, that's the big question mark with Bayern. Um, it is their weakness, their defense, and we actually saw that against Union as well. I mean, you wouldn't think with, with, with 4-0, but uh, you saw you, Union did have some chances. And mm-hmm. I mean, Nianzu is very young. What is he? I think 19 or 20. So uh, for a center back, that is... Yeah, 19, 19. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a centre-back, especially at, at that level, at that Bayern level, that is very, very young. And yeah, he, he definitely won't be first choice, I guess, next season. It would be just too soon for a player of his age, obviously. Yeah, the big question mark for me is a bit um, Upamecano, who has been a bit up and down, uh, to say the least, since he joined from Leipzig. I guess there was more hope that he would be more steady performer, more of a difference maker there already. And uh, yes, you have also uh, Luca Hernandez and... Um, uh, Benjamin Pavard, who could step into a more central role, I guess, in future. But that is their big thing. And um, you could you could actually say or argue that Niklas Süle has been their best centre-back this season and he's leaving. So that is a bit of a thing about Bayern. I mean, not only next season, but also this season, if you're talking about the Champions League, that could be their weakness. So I think they have to react there, definitely. Speaking of Champions League, Bayern learned their next opponent there, Villarreal, which I think if you just look at sort of reputation, one would think that would be pretty good draw. Any reason to think why that's maybe maybe not the case? Not really. <laughs> no, I think I think they should do it. Um, uh, you could saw Salzburg were able to to ask some questions in the first leg, and <laughs> but that was mostly down to their style in the first leg. Yeah, in the second <laughs> leg, Bayern were like, we are the ones asking questions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although Salzburg did have an early chance in that game, we can't forget that either. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but of course there was a different class, and and I'm I'm not the greatest um, follower of Spanish football, but I don't think Villarreal have the same approach Salzburg had, and. This is something Bayern has some problems with, with this uh, counter-attacking style or high-press style, which also um, Leipzig, Salzburg, or, or even Leverkusen, um, the, the threat they posed to Bayern recently. So, um, no, I, I guess Bayern should do quite well there, and I guess it will be quite uh, quite comfortable. All right. We shall see after the international break. All right, let's head for a break. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I am back here with Chris McCarthy. We're talking about match day 26 in the Bundesliga. And the place that I think we should probably go now is actually the place where the match day began, where we had kind of a bizarre and and really quite unfortunate story. It was the Friday night game between Falfel Bochum and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach up until uh, a certain juncture in the second half. I guess it had been a fairly normal uh, Friday night Bundesliga affair. It was one in which the the visitors, Gladbach, had taken a 2-0 lead, which led to maybe, maybe a bit of frustration on the part of uh, a spectator there at the uh, the Ruhrstadion. And they decided to throw a full beer 
at the pitch, at the linesman, hit him in the back of the head. Chaos ensued for a few moments. The referees, I think quite rightly, decided to uh, abandon the match. Since you're the one in Germany at the moment, you know, looking at all the newspapers and, and watching all the Bundesliga broadcasts, what has been sort of the reaction, both in the sports press, but also in, in the general press about this? This is an incident that I think casts the Bundesliga in, in a very negative light. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, on top of that, it was the Friday game. So that means that was the only game producing any um, any kind of um, um, highlights in any shape and uh, any type of talking points. So obviously, that was the main issue for at least, uh, yeah, let's say 16 hours or so until the Saturday games kicked off. And it's it's been very negative and it's been very, very tough for Bochum as well because um, Bochum actually have a, a reputation for a quite uh, good fan scene as well. And it's a quite nice atmosphere to the Stadion as well. And as their boss, uh, Shinzi Lot said after the game as well, it's just one person, you know, and it's one person who pulls the entire fan scene into the mud on that day and um, one stupid action and... Yeah, I mean, it's it's been yeah highly criticized, of course, and it's quite shocking as well. You could see the reaction of the linesman. He was very shocked at the moment when he was hit. And I mean, we don't know, did he actually try to hit him? I don't know. I wouldn't want to judge because we do actually see beer cups fly around every now and then in the stadiums. It's... It just happens. I mean, as, as stupid as it is, it does happen. And the quite ironic thing about it is VfL Bochum on Friday morning, they actually released a, a video, sort of like a commercial, and where they were trying to appeal to their fans not to throw any beer cups through the stadium anymore. And it was actually quite a nice video with their captain, Anthony Lucilla, sort of like a beer commercial. That was a really cool thing. And of course, the ironic thing would happen later today. So it's been highly embarrassing for, for Bochum, especially, I would say. And uh, of course, not a good thing for, for the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I too enjoyed that little uh, <laughs> social video. And and I, I, I get it. I think Moritz Fiege is, is one of the better stadium beers <laughs> in the Bundesliga. I, I don't think you should throw it. I think you should drink it. Definitely. Uh, has there been any uh, decision made by the DFL yet about how, or the DFB, I'm not sure whose decision is this is, about how to um, validate or invalidate this game or its result? Is this going to be essentially a, a forfeit? Because it, it did get to the 70th minute, so it's not, a, it's not like we didn't know the way the game was going. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the funny thing is, if we want to talk about the sporting part for, for one second, uh, Bochum were actually quite good in this game I'm not, not bad and uh, I wouldn't have put it past them to maybe come back into this game but that that was robbed of them of course so yeah the, the DFB um, Sportgericht which is the sports court will judge and the full expectation in Germany is that it will be ruled 2-0 to Gladbach and I I wouldn't be surprised if there would be some fines coming towards Bochum as well and um, yeah it will be 2-0 to Gladbach and yeah, a bit of a thing for, for a bit of a negative aspect for, for Bochum as well, who could have more or less um, guaranteed safety with a win against Gladbach. So um, who remains to be seen if it sort of throws them off their course a bit. I don't think so, but um, might be a bit of a talking point this in this season for them. Yeah, yeah. I think it would take a pretty, a pretty mighty collapse for Bochum to uh, get themselves in any actual relegation trouble. But, Definitely. you know, strange things happen sometimes. <laughs> All right. Um, let, let's push on. Let's talk about uh, a couple of the teams who were in action on Sunday. Maybe I guess the first two being the two teams who are still in, in the Europa League. That is uh, Leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt. They were playing each other. This was the first game from Sunday. 
And I'm sorry to report that nobody scored, which is, 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 is that's not to say nobody should have scored. Domenico Tedesco himself, this is the, you know, Leipzig coach, said that they managed about seven clear cut chances in this game. And, and they, it was, you know, a real, real disappointment for them not to convert any of them. Kevin Trapp, Eintracht goalkeeper, mm-hmm. had a hand in, in many of those, but there was certainly some real profligacy going on from Leipzig, which is kind of, Kind of an undercurrent for their season, I think. I mean, they are in fourth place now, which is not bad, but um, I think they could could be doing a lot better if their finishing was there. What did you make of this one? Yes, I thought to myself, it's a bit of an it was a bit of an anti-Tedesco game um, because it's typical Tedesco to make a lot of goals of few chances or to be very efficient, put it that way. And uh, since Tedesco's there. They have been the best side in Bundesliga. I think they've collected the most points since Tedesco took over. And yeah, and if you if you look at their recent wins, I mean, if you look at the expected goal statistics, for example, uh, they beat Kreuter third 6-1 with 2.14 expected goals. They score goals from 0.48 expected goals, and, and uh, that's enough at the end of the day. And in this game, I think they had over 1.6. I don't have the exact number in my head anymore, but uh, and just didn't score. And that is very untypical for, for Leipzig, especially under Tedesco. And especially considering the the quality they have uh, in attack as well. I mean, Nkunku doesn't need many chances normally, and uh, he wasted a few um, opportunities for Leipzig there. So, yeah, it was definitely two points dropped for Leipzig, I would say. Um, I would not be too concerned. It was just really more of an off day, I would think, because they did play well. They did uh, get into the right situations. And as I said, they normally take these chances. So I wouldn't be too worried if I if I was a Leipzig fan. These two teams, as I mentioned a moment ago, are still alive in the Europa League. Certainly Leipzig, I think, have their ambitions set a bit higher than the Europa League next season. But Eintracht, mm-hmm. I think, would love to qualify for that competition through through winning it. Eintracht, they, they have a trip to uh, Barcelona, who um, <laughs> looks like they're going to win <laughs> El Clasico, you know, that game's not over yet at the time that we're recording, but it's looking very good for them. So they're not exactly slouching the way they have been at certain times this season. Leipzig are, are taking on Atalanta, of course, the team that, that knocked out Leverkusen. Who do you reckon has a better chance to advance? I mean, you know, Leipzig has the pedigree, but Eintracht have the, man, they, they just love the Europa League factor. <laughs> they do. They definitely do. Um, yeah, I mean... Barcelona might not be the team of, of, of recent years, uh, definitely not. Um, but I still think Barcelona probably have too much individual quality to to beat them over two legs, especially. I mean, that's the that's the point here. I mean, in one game a lot can happen. In two games, it's in a whole different story. I think this the return leg is in Barcelona also, and that is sort of a sort of a, an aspect not to, to not to ignore because Frankfurt are very strong at home um, in front of their own crowd and uh, so they, they couldn't even make up uh, the first leg at home so um, I, I guess I guess Barcelona should have enough quality but as you just said I wouldn't put it past Frankfurt they somehow seem to find the next gear in Europe and uh, seem to go mental there every now and then so uh, let's wait and see yeah all right the other game that would took place with a, a, a former Europa League participant, that is Bayer Leverkusen. They were in Wolfsburg, and it looked for the longest time like this was going to be another nil-nil draw. But uh, Leverkusen substitute Paulinho got hot at the right time. He was, what, 10 minutes on the pitch, scored twice. That keeps Leverkusen in third place. You know, 
I think the big story for Leverkusen, not only being bounced from the Europa League and, and you know, getting a 2-0 win at Wolfsburg, good, good. Yeah, I, th- I think the real big story for them in the past week is losing Florian Wirtz. That happened uh, on the last match day when we didn't have a podcast in their, their uh, game against Cologne. How concerned are you about the coming run-in for Leverkusen? They have a little bit of a cushion. Maybe not so much of a cushion now over Leipzig, but a cushion, you know, over, you know, the likes of Freiburg and Hoffenheim. Do you think they might have any danger of dropping out of the top four without that sort of main man and creative engine of Florian Wirtz? Yeah, that's the big thing about Leverkusen now, the big the big question mark, because um, the game against Wolfsburg, Leverkusen weren't great, I thought. Um, they had some some issues there and... They did have the issues that Florian Wirtz would have solved. Um, I think quite a number of times the final pass was missing, the final decision was missing, and uh, actually Wolfsburg had a fair fair amount of chances and looked like the team more likely to score in between. And Leverkusen were, were sort of not really didn't have their best day and missing these certain qualities that Wirtz has provided all along this season, these genius moments and great assists and goals. And I was very concerned. After they had lost Wirtz and especially watching the first half against Wolfsburg thinking, okay, maybe maybe they will lose top four now if it goes on like that. And yeah, all the more um, important the three points were at the end um, and especially that it's Paulinho who scored the two goals. I thought that was quite striking because he is undoubtedly very gifted, a very talented footballer, but he has been missing so many valuable opportunities for them, making the wrong decision, uh, missing chances. And, you know, if if he sort of builds confidence from these two games, he could maybe even fit into the Wirtz role players number 10. So that's definitely something to watch out for. And yeah, it's it's a massive three points. And if you look at their run-in, I think they play Bayern. Um, but apart from that, it doesn't look too hard. And uh, they do play Dortmund as well. But Apart from that, it's mostly sort of teams stuck in a relegation zone, and um, therefore, I could think they could make it. And yeah, for them, it also speaks that I believe that the competition for the top four probably won't win out either or anything close to it. So, I guess that was a very, very big, big stepping stone. Yep, yep, and I, I think you're right to say the um, the potential emergence of Paulinho as a featured player, a player who actually produces things, um, which has been something they've waited a really long time for. That maybe if that happens, uh, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah. All right, just a couple of more results slash you know storylines that we need to talk about to wrap things up. First was another another nil nil draw. Freiburg were in Fürth and. You know, this result actually was was the reason why they were leapfrogged on the table by Leipzig, not managing to get more than a point out of this one. Surprised by this result, were Freiburg maybe due for a little little come down? Yeah, maybe. Um, it was it was quite surprising. I mean, Freiburg could have won. They did have some some decent chances, yep. um, but um, they definitely were frustrated by third. Who, I mean, they will go down. There's no doubt about it, but. We do have to point out, I think, that Fürth have been quite uh, quite decent yeah. since the turn of the year. So um, they showed that they could belong, I think. And um, But they just don't have enough quality. No, but Freiburg, yeah, they, they had a little um, rough patch in between, came back from it now. So they will be pretty frustrated about that, I think. But to be honest... Um, I think they were due for it. Um, I, I just I just see a little gap between the top four and Freiburg, and um, 
So therefore, I guess it maybe was coming. I just did not expect him to finish top four, to be absolutely honest. Yeah, I, I never was quite convinced of, of a Champions League place for them either, much as I, I enjoy watching them. And you're right also to say that Fürth are not the sort of shockingly bad side that they were at the beginning of the season. They they just don't have the firepower to win a lot of games, but they have become hard to beat, yeah. which if you're a side playing at that end of the table is, is, is something. It's not everything. It won't keep you in the league, but it'll keep you from embarrassing yourself. Last one, Mites, 4-0 winners over Bielefeld. You know, Bielefeld themselves were having a good little resurgence at the beginning of the Lukrunda, but that's uh, – <laughs> That has dissipated. They really picked a terrible time yeah. to to you know lay an egg, considering Stuttgart and Hertha picked up three points on this match day, you know basically passing them up. But I feel like Mainz were just they were they were not going to be stopped on this day. They scored in the first minute. Jonathan Burkhardt. They looked like they were going to score on a couple of other occasions. And then in the second half, Bielefeld decided to just help them out. You know, you guys aren't finishing your chances. Let's give you three guilt edge chances in the form of penalties. 15 minutes, three penalties, three boneheaded fouls in the box. Have you ever seen anything like this? I have not. And what we definitely have not seen is three different scorers of the penalties as well. (laughs) That was wild. I don't know what's going on with that team. They had three different penalty takers, all successful. Yeah, it's 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 actually quite a nice story. I mean, if I if I understood it correctly, it was more of a team spirit thing. I mean, they were cruising more or less, and um, and Niakite, who is their um, he's their number one penalty spot taker, he actually handed over the ball to Burkhardt. I think the, the second penalty was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was basically sort of passing the ball around and giving everyone a bit of a nice moment <laughs> for this game, which actually is quite yeah Bielefeld Bond like uh, hearing the story, I guess, because it shows you how. How weak they were that day. Yep, yep. Speaking of weak that day, goal line technology had had a bad day. I didn't know <laughs> goal line technology had bad days, but they tried, or the system tried to tell uh, referee Felix Zweier that a goal had been scored in a first half chance from mindset. Basically, the goalkeeper was covering the ball, Ortega was covering the ball on the goal line, pretty clear to the naked eye and to pretty much all the players, that it hadn't crossed the line, but the little buzzer went off on, on, on Svire's watch. What in the world? This, <laughs> how, how did this happen? I honestly don't know. I mean, um, I'm someone who actually really trusts technology. I actually take it for, uh, I'm 100% certain, certain if, the, if the watch goes off, it's a goal. And if it doesn't go off, it's definitely not a goal. I, I don't even want to see the see this, the pictures, to be honest. I'm just sure it's it's correct. And all the more alarming it was. I mean, it was quite weird because it was clearly not over the line. And I don't know how that happens, but um, definitely fair play to Zweier, who immediately... Um, suspected that something had gone wrong and uh, thank God we do have uh, the video assistant uh, technology uh, these days as as much as it causes frustration among fans every now and then that was definitely a moment where we should be thankful that we had it. <laughs> yep, yep. And and for once, thankful that Felix Zweier has, uh, <laughs> has maybe, maybe, maybe a surprisingly good head on his shoulders. We criticize <laughs> him sometimes but this was this was well played yep. uh, from, from the Berliner. Well, 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 that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Great to have you on for the first time, Chris. 
thank you very much. Thanks for having me and uh, hope to see you soon. Nice, nice. I, I hope it won't be the last time. Uh, you can find <laughs> him on Twitter at ChrisMick underscore L-I-I, as well as read his work on The Athletic. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra is coming up in a couple of days. It's going to be a Felix Magat special. And Talking Foosball Fantasy will be back toward the end of the week to get you ready for Match Day 27. This is from Nixon Mullion. <laughs>